Okay, welcome to Real Talk with Rio and Murph, the most niche podcast on the internet. This week's sponsor is the Shadow League. Adult to become master of the dark arts and leave me alone. Okay, Murph, first part of round 28. Are you ready? You bet your bridges. Okay, so to recap, uh, after a couple years of teching dominance, changes uh, this round made teching from lowland sizes much less viable. Uh, basically, the number of schools rather than percentage of schools are more important. So effectively getting to a higher land size sooner is probably the best if you want to do lots of techs. That effectively means that exploring converters is probably a little bit stronger. Um, but with those changes, it also might mean that more people are encouraged to fast attack. So going into the round, lots of different strategies uh, will probably be talked about. There's no longer kind of a solve strategy where slower teching is the way to go. And I think that's probably what we've seen. Uh, lots of uh, mix of different people trying different things and just seeing how it all, all works with the, the new meta. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on the first week. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right, that, you know, we're so used to seeing the slow teching strategies and you can spot them a mile away of what they're doing, right? Uh, but we're not really seeing that as much right now, and that's I think that all comes down to the uh, the change in the schools, which is which is good to see. You know, like you know what they say, right? The spice spice is variety of life, or whatever. Or is it variety is the spice? Yeah, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, that's it. Like I said, I think it was kind of it was effectively a solved way of either having a great chance of winning or at least finishing really strong, being part of the, the mix at the end. So we need to do something. Um, for it just to be interesting again. Um, I think far too many people were actually just employing that strategy by the end. It was no longer a case of, you know, just a couple of people who wanted to take it easy doing it. It was a case of even people that liked doing other stuff all moved over to that one just because it gave you the best chance of winning. And it, it got boring, really. So it's nice to see a different meta going into this round. Yeah, and you know, we've already actually seen our first war here, too. Yeah, which um, I don't think anyone at the top was surprised to see. Um, when you've got a, a realm that's got a mix of fast attackers and it looked like a lot of uh, wizard and spy races, that war happened, I think, seconds after it was effectively enabled. People just went straight for it and uh, Black Ops were thrown around. It was um, interesting to see. What, what are your thoughts on it? I think uh, it's probably the fastest declaration we've had in, I guess, the modern kind of time here, right? Like, clearly, like, Realm 5 was just itching at the trigger there to go, right? Is that how you see it? Yeah, that was it. The, uh, I mean, I think we've seen earlier wars in the past, but those have been for... Um, those have basically before you could even actually have effective... Um, black ops or anything so you actually declaring them during that that kind of that that safety time uh, this was definitely the first time where it was instant instant effect and you could just tell realm 5 had strongest fast attacker have a whole group of people like set up for black ops and uh, and that's what they did they kind of went straight out to people so kudos so what, how do you, what do you think the reverberations of seeing that first war, and now it's over, right? They just undeclared it, so I don't know, 
yesterday, maybe. Um, so how do you think most other realms are going to kind of react and see how that, you know, played out? My thought is, I'm, I'm surprised that there haven't been more. Um, I'm surprised that Realm 5 didn't go after someone else immediately again. And I'm surprised that nobody seemed to really do anything to to kind of stack up against 5. You know, it's, it's, you're not going to get attackers going after a, a Black Op Realm, but I don't see why Explorers or Converters wouldn't be... Um, Doing something to uh, to look to to stop the strongest people, um, but I guess a, a lot of people might just be looking to take care of their own game and hope something else kind of does any damage. It's kind of one of those situations where it's like you know run to the hills and let's just take cover or what. Yeah, it's okay. So you, you know we've talked about wars quite a few times on on previous podcasts, and ultimately your best case your best chance of winning is if somebody else does dirty work for you and you get to keep your hands clean um there's also a little bit of an element of sometimes you've got to be prepared to lose if you want to win and i think a lot of our player base are not willing to put that sacrifice in or to actually risk themselves they'll hope that something else happens you know they'll hope that a suicide happens or Somebody else preps for for Black Ops. And I don't think too many people actually... And it's interesting, with it being a a war game, you'd think that would be a big part of it, where people don't really care about their finish so much, but I guess our player base is more ingrained into actually trying for the win, trying for the big finish, and not really going for any other goal. And that's the danger, right? If you have something like what we're seeing currently... If you're trying to streamline everything and you're kind of maybe not, uh, you know, setting up everything properly, like, just, you know, just in case type situation, then, you know, a Category 5 hurricane could strike your direction, right? That's the reality of what's happening. Yeah, that's it. I think people are just kind of protecting themselves but not really looking looking for a war. Um, you know, you can't really blame people. Um, and there could be other people that are playing slower strategies and they're just thinking, you know what? Let the fast people do the fast, fast attacking things, and I'll just see what happens later on. Yeah, you're always going to have those the late, the late round races, right? Like you got the, you know, the gnomes, the trolls, the wood elves, right? Those are your big three that are going to have the impact. You know, say day thirty onwards, right? That's when you're starting to, you know, look at them for the efficiency and the power that they can bring to the round. Yeah, precisely. And one thing that I did mention at the start was that the, the smithy change, that really, really helps um, converters as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the, the ranks are dominated by wood elves and gnomes um, in the run-up to kind of like that conversion time um, because they've got basically a, a double boost this round um, because their, basically their smithy costs aren't as much. They, they rely on their, on different buildings a lot more. So. So I think that that's long-term threat still there. It's, it's no longer going to be so much the teching side of things, but the converters are definitely going to uh, have some kind of impact on the round a little bit later on. So if you're one of those guys, why would you um, dedicate too much into going to war when you can just hope to take your chances a little bit later on? And that's really what it comes down to is, you know, mid-late game, right? You're going to have 
the efficiency, right? So you got to make sure that if you're one of those converting races that, you know, you don't get too wild too early or else it's going to cost you in the long run with not being able to go as fast. Exactly. Really to do anything, you need to, you need a team strategy to kind of figure out whether it's worth one or two or three people, you know, in your pack in your realm, sacrificing a little bit to, to slow down um, any, like any major threats or really kind of, you end up putting like all your eggs in one basket, but sometimes that's, that's what you need to do if you do want to really swing things into your favor. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I wouldn't say right now that there is a clear runaway. Like you obviously have a couple guys up there that are keeping each other honest. Uh, you know, we'll know more in the next couple of days, see how it shakes out, right? You could, you know, you could see some suicides, you could see some wars, right? Like who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of days. But I think I would say in the next 72 hours, right, we'll know if there's a clear-cut runaway at this point. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's what is it, the end of what is it now, um, day seven in the realm. So it would have been old old day 10, so it's day seven currently. There's definitely strongest dominion with a, a pretty, well, the strongest realm um, ahead. And they're stretching away at the moment. They're definitely not away at the moment, but you kind of get the the picture that at this stage, when somebody's you know a hundred acres or one hit ahead, that can become two hits, can become three hits, and then it's just the case of people are only really one hit within their range, and uh, that's when the runaway really kind of starts playing. Um, so, so maybe we should talk about that then, like. Because I don't know if we really explored it much uh, last round when there was a runaway, and there's three of them that were running away. Um, you know, if that's the case, right, and, and say you're you're fast attacking, right, you know, what what would you say is, like, your strategy once there's an established runaway? And it's not you, right? So, you know, what, what goes through your mind, and, and how do you react? So my position, so last round... Um... I didn't talk about it at the time because I was I was involved in it. So I was the next strongest attacker behind the three runaways. I was a kobold. Three of them were clearly ahead. They were ahead right from the start. I'd missed my chance to hit one of them just because I was I was busy on, on the first or second day. Um, but they were all one or two hits ahead. And they stayed that way until I ate a suicide from somebody else. But I was still kind of hanging on to them. And all I could do was train suicidal offense and hope that they would waste time and waste resources by keep on training spec offense to try to counter it, which is what they did. So I was really trying to hurt their economy, which was working fine. And I was forcing them to defend my suicide, which they also did. So it was hurting them again there as well. But then people just kept on kind of feeding them with ridiculously low defense. So they were able to make these hits while defending my suicide and just kept on it like, edging further and further ahead and so I just had to give up and just throw in the towel effectively. Um, typically, if you're a fast attacker, unless you've got something over them in terms of efficiency, um, you know, maybe you've kind of brought in diamond mines or maybe you've gone fewer fewer mods or fewer specs and you've got some elites, so you've got some kind of um, something to counter them in terms of like a higher economy. If you don't have that, then all you can really do is just hit when they hit. Maybe potentially train up some suicides and make them defend you. Maybe actually go for the suicide if a if a chance opens up. But really, you're just kind of 
you just have to just play the game and just hit when they hit and hope something kind of comes your way. Like maybe they'll miss something, maybe a war happens, um, something like that. You're really kind of stuck once a, a runaway is cemented, unless you are a more efficient race, in which case you can kind of creep up within um, within their range just slowly uh, in the hopes that, you know, that they've overdone it on specs, they've overdone it on mods, and that their economy really takes off. And that's really the gamble with the runaway approach, right? Is like, you're going to have people that are going to overdo it, right? And only one of those people out of the many that overdo it is going to be able to capitalize on it, on that position. So you kind of have to, I guess, you know, hope that that person is you or else, you know, it's going to be a long round if you don't capitalize on it. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's something we've seen for, probably the last 15 rounds now, people really do go all in on the specs and mods and and their economies never really take off. Um, it's something that's really kind of frustrated to play. And that's why so many runaways get run down because they've just overcommitted to it. Um, there's still always a chance that a runaway sh- like could possibly hold people off if things go their way. But the thing is, if you're setting yourself up by overdoing it, you really kind of, hurt your chances of kind of catching out explorers because you can't out-train them, things like that. So that's kind of a bit of a frustrating thing when I play fast attacker, see people do that. And like you say, you know, sometimes if you're not doing it as well, you just can't compete. You know, everyone has to do it and you just have to hope that you're the one that kind of gets away and then things just kind of fall in your favor to, to hold off. But the actual, um, what we didn't really see last round so much um, we've seen it previous rounds, and, and I think it's worth talking about. It's almost the the art of the runaway, of when you are the one that kind of gets away, what you can do, things, the different approaches, you know, in terms of kind of keeping around moving, or do you do you try to train up to, like, 5-4 offense? Like, what kind of buildings do you do? Because um, you've managed to run away back in, in the Classic Dominion, and I know you've been up top in a number of the, the sprint, the test rounds, so... So what's your kind of approach to it? Well, I think you you have to get to a point where you got to stop burning the candle at both ends, right? Because you got to think, well, my economy is going to be king here, so I need to address efficiency at some point. Like you cannot continue to burn through specs. Like if you're in a runaway position, it almost makes zero sense to be burning through specs uh, like casually, right? Like I know at certain points in the round, you can, you know, you really should be releasing drafts, get your economy better, right? If you're in the runaway position and, you know, unlike last round, which I don't think we saw enough of, you got to build some elites, right? Like not just your elite offense or your elite defense, whatever's more efficient for you, but you got to build, you know, off of the spec train because, uh, you know, other than say Goblin or Kobold, those races are not designed, every other race besides those two, are not designed to be spec the entire round, right? Or else they would they would equally have a huge pop bonus. But, you know, if you only have a pop bonus of like, you know, 5%, 10%, right? You got to really look at not pursuing specs into eternity or else, you know, it's not going to go well for you later in the round. And, and we've kind of seen that now, right? Like last round, you know, it, it happened right at the very end of the round, but it happened right it to be a little bit different 
Yeah, you think, you know, you, you, you hope history doesn't repeat itself, but it tends to. So, you know, we'll see if they paint themselves into a corner again, right? But, um, you know, how do you, what do you look at, you know, in that realm? So I guess we're discussing round five here. Uh, how do you like that racial, so of the three attackers? So let's compare the three attackers in five to the three that were uh, running away last round, right? What are you noticing as the differences of the races? Well, it's, it's two of the same, right? With the, the halfling, the lycanthrope, rather than the lizard folk, there's a murph. So pretty similar. Um, again, it's this time it's the... I think last round, actually, the halfling was the the early dominant lead until he ate a suicide. And then it seemed to be the, the Liz and, and the like kind of cross paths. But I think the Liz was most of the time the top offense. This time around, it seems to be all halfling. Um, and then the other two are just kind of riding coattails. They're, they're more in the mix with like just ranked probably similarly to other fast attackers at this point uh, i was just gonna say uh like with goblin if you run the numbers it's so hard to make them a really good fast attacker now right like their units and their cost per point for offense and defense are just so expensive right that it's cost prohibitive to try to do you know amazing things with them right now because there's just other races that can do it cheaper right yeah exactly yeah i know that um, well, now with Goblin, you can do, you know, the, the Hobgoblins or the Wolf Riders. Wolf Rider Goblins used to be always in the mix uh, in Classic Dom. Now they're just uh, far too slow just because of the costs. And then uh, the Hobgoblins had been, had been looking good, but we tried one last round and it just didn't take off anywhere near as quickly as the others. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it is just um, there's better races to, to do the fast attacking. So, okay, so I guess the difference between the three that we're seeing this round and the three that we're seeing from last round, um, and also, I guess, they also had a goblin last round that converted into it, too. So there's essentially four at one point, right? Yeah, but that, that one was, um, wasn't was part of the pack. He, he kind of joined and did the, the, the was it the 2K convert? Um, converted behind everyone else, and it just didn't really take off. Um it didn't mesh with the pure fast attacking. It was it was a, a quick convert, but in a little bit of strange circumstances, and and it just didn't really pay off as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it raised a little hell, but not a lot of hell. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like it was going to be much more dangerous than it ever turned out to be, um, and he ended up just being effectively a blocker until the efficient people kind of like closed the gap and then just went past him anyway. So I guess the big difference between the three of last round and the three of this round would be, you know, the merfolk instead of the lizard folk. And and what would you say are the comparisons you could make between those two? So the big thing for for a merfolk is merfolk's actually got some legs. Um, they don't have to be pure in a way. They can actually. We've seen them compete long term efficiently. Um, they're not the most efficient, but they can compete, and they've been able to hold off for a win. Um, even though they, they weren't the strongest. So that's an option. They can be played quickly and they can be played slowly. So there's always an option there. Um, as long as they're not going, again, too crazy on, on all specs and all mods, there's always a chance. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, that's kind of the potentially the, the best um, chance of, of the winners, even though it's not in top spot right now. 
Um, but hey, there's still still lots of rounds to play, and uh, I guess you you wouldn't be able to bet against round five at this point, just because things look so set up for them. Yeah, that's fair. And I would just say with the lizard folk, right? I would say it's much more a gamble for the fast attacking play because they play out into the mid round pretty poorly, especially if like almost, I would say 90% of them are, uh, you know, spec D serpent heavy, as opposed to a more balanced cam approach. Right. Yeah. I'm not even sure like a, a lizard folk on its own would be able to hold off lots of people. I think, the lizard folk worked really well in combination with um, with another attacker because, and you do need to be like you said, you need to have lots of cams for the flex appeal and for the actual for the suicide ability. You know, you don't need to send out on a suicide, but if you could threaten it all the time, then it's always an option for you. Um, but say so, you know, they're, they're not. They are very much a, a fast race. You, you wouldn't see many of them playing the mid-round well um, or a late-round surge well in the same way that my folk can be played that way. So I guess the big difference is basically just the mid-round would be more of a an interesting look, right, compared to the lizard folk? Yeah, but ultimately it's all going to be how, how it's played, you know. Um, things are setting up pretty strongly at the moment. Um, last round, it was just a foregone conclusion for the runaway. So it was whether they actually did the, the runaway well. Um, I'd argue they, they probably didn't. If a runaway happens this round, and it looks like it could happen again, then it's going to be more of a question of how how they actually play it um, and whether they can stretch it out. Or still think, you know, converters are just going to be really, really strong this round. So... Um, so we'll have to see if uh, if fast attackers are able to take it all the way. Yeah, they're definitely you, you definitely have to weigh that, right? Is okay. So if you're going to be converting, how do I pull off a successful converter and ultimately, you know, reel in the fast attacker, right? That's kind of got to be your mantra right now. Is how can I get that to succeed? Yeah, I mean, for them, it's, they don't really have a whole lot of control on what's going on with the the fast attackers. Fast attackers really need to kind of dictate the pace of what's going on, and you know if they start stalling things out for too long, it's going to be them that suffer. If the converters can quite easily bring to defend and then keep growing, and then they can always do a, a later convert. It's fast attackers really need to kind of play the game and actually balance what they're doing in terms of speed and how often they're hitting, and are they hitting frequently? Or are they trying to take control and dominate the offense game? Do they defend suicides? Do they play it? where they not fully defend a suicide, but they set themselves up to benefit if there are any. All these kinds of things that the converters just have to keep their pace and uh, grow in a way that they're safe enough, um, but they're not slowing them down to a ridiculous level to defend crazy suicides. Um, because if they try doing that, then they just won't be quick enough and, and they won't be actually part of the the strongest set of converters when it comes to it. Well, and it's something, if you look at the rankings, you know, currently as we're recording this, um, you know, a fast stacker is not even in the lead right now, right? You have some, you know, could be explorers, could be converters. I don't know how you classify them yet, but, you know, 
you got you got a couple of them that are already bigger than the fast attacker, right? So, you know, it's pretty interesting to to notice that. You know, you got some good econs out there right now. And this is something I said right through uh, right through before testing. As soon as the changes were all going to be talked about and announced, I said, you know, these top ranks are going to be dominated by by explorers and converters um, probably within the first couple of weeks. And, right, if you just kind of scan down and you know if you're just looking for the the elite guard icons see three out of the first 15 or so explorers converters are, are way up ahead um in terms of numbers and yeah i think the top three all explorers or converters and there's quite a few more efficient races kind of coming along not too far behind it either so i don't know whether it's a case of exploring it is too easy or whether it's just a case of you know we've had a, a couple of days of stagnation with the attackers so uh, it could be a combination of both yeah i think that's a fair read and you know what we haven't talked about with the changes was you know we drastically uh made wonders more available although we still haven't seen a wonder getting taken yet i think we should see that happen more uh time appropriately i'd say this round than last round what do you think yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty certain the wonders will will fall. Um, I guess the big thing is now that exploring is probably better than attacking, like generally, you're not going to have people just knocking wonders down. You know, in last rounds, you know where where fast or slow attacking was was much more dominant. You'd have a lot of people be able to chip in for them. Um, now it's all going to be, I think, cyclones for for people because the fast attackers aren't really going to be wanting to waste the hit right now. I think Wonders are going to fall. I think they're going to be exchanged a lot more often. Um, and uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, but they're, they're definitely a lot more available than they were before. And, and I think um, the benefits now will outweigh the costs in getting them, especially from, from zero. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, there's... I would say a couple of them that look useful and and you get a couple of them that are not so useful, but they're so cheap that it just might be like, well, Hey, it's so cheap. You know, you know what I mean? It's that Kmart blue light special type deal, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's probably two of the best ones out there. Maybe, maybe three of them. Uh, and then I think three that are not really anything, but you know what? Like you say, if they're there, they're there. Might as well take one. And then, uh, what do you think of the themes here for the rounds or for the realms? Eh? There's a lot of realms that pretty much have blanket participation in the theme, which I, I love, right? Like I'm, you know, basically I'm looking at, you know, say realm 10, right. With all those wrestlers and everything. I think that's so cool. Yeah. I, I think the, well, what the game is getting good at um, these days is the, the social side of it. And it's always fun when you see a whole, uh, a whole realm get involved, especially when it's something like that where you can kind of there's so many choices um, that people can pick. So it's great when they do. Uh, it's also interesting that you know you, you can't tell who's who's actually in you know the the main pack or or who's kind of come up with it. It's just a whole mix of of who's who, and so it, it really kind of it does just create a new dynamic to uh, the who's in the realm. It's great camouflage. Really, I mean, added to the social benefits, right, and the fun, right? It's just it's great camouflage to kind of protect everybody or spread the risk out at least, right? Because you don't know. 
Exactly, yeah. I mean, like when if you would see, you know, four four people named similarly and they all come like out of protection on seven hundred and fifty acres, and then the rest are all six hundred or six fifty, uh, that's going to be pretty tough to hide. Yeah, that's it, hundred percent. And that's eleven people participating in that theme. So I think that's awesome. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, I really enjoy that. That's a, a nice pickup. It's also actually just on the on the topic of realms is the the matchmaking system. Um, I think it's a really really nifty um, tool that's kind of been brought in. Um, I think it really does spread out the chances of uh, of where wins can come from, uh, and it just does make things more interesting. Especially you know if you might get too kind of what you might call like uh, middle of the road pack or maybe just kind of two maybe slightly above average packs combined together um it can really kind of change the course of how a round would go rather than you know what used to be completely random where you'd have one pack and maybe just a, a bunch of individual players yeah i think that's that assessment spot on and especially i'm just looking at the uh you know looking at realm realm five i guess there's it looks like there's two packs two different themes going on and then it looks like a, a couple People joined the uh, joined one of the themes. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's two themes in there, right? One of them's pretty distinctive, and then the other one, I guess, may not be as easy to determine what it is, but you still kind of know what it is, right? Exactly. Well, you always get helped out by a realm name if uh, if you're never not not sure. Oh yeah, and that's uh, yeah, just looking at that now, yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty fun, <laughs> that's a pretty funny realm name actually. Yeah. All right, just thinking of. Uh... With how the the rest of the rounds uh, looking to shape up, do you uh, what do you think of how the changes have had an impact, and and do you think there's going to be any interesting implications or or effects, or do you think we might stick with the same kind of round rules again, or maybe changes um, into the next round, or you just see how things go this time, and then and then we'll reassess. I think it's too early to kind of tell with that. Um, what I'm really excited to see here is if people are still going to try the tech route and try to be, you know, competitive late round with a bunch of techs and see if see how that works, right? Um, I don't know. Like, my gut's telling me that's probably not going to work well for whoever's going to try that. But it'd still be interesting to see, you know, if, if some people are going to try that and see how it works. Yeah, I think the, the main thing is it's just, when I was looking at the the formulas for everything, um, for me, I just I kind of figured that for if you go in Diamond Mines and Techs, you know, which is what I guess the biggest problem was because you could have everything um, in, in the last few rounds. It's now a case of almost going Diamond Mines first and then bringing in schools rather than the other way around. Um, yeah. Just because, yeah. you know, the schools formula just works where it's it's more based on the number of schools you have rather than the percentage now. So you can get 300, 400, you know, after 2,000 acres and start chipping off text pretty quickly. Which is such a weird way to kind of see it go. But, you know, and the I think the problem with that, though, if people think that that's a viable route, is when you inevitably get rid of those schools, right, you're going to be paying pretty high construction costs, right? I would think. 
Well, that's if you do, you know. But what I'm saying is, if you do the diamond mines early, you can go, you can go a bit of like a half and half. So obviously, you get the, you get quicker benefits coming in through the diamond mines as keep goes up much quicker early on. So you can get that rolling first, and then bring the scores in. Maybe you don't get rid of all of them like we used to do. Um, you just kind of keep them throughout the round because you're no longer punished with the whole um, diminishing returns and the gains of of, um, of techs. That same 300 or 400 schools are going to get you a tech almost as frequently throughout the remainder of the round, rather than kind of starting out at you know like one tech a day and slowing down to like one every five days. Right, but I would say you know by day 35, you most likely do not want to have any schools whatsoever because there's other buildings that are going to be doing way more for you for the last 14 days, right? Well, it depends what techs you still got to pick up. Um, because obviously the, the bonuses you get from the techs are going to be more powerful the later into the round you get. Yeah, but your mod buildings are going to give you way more bang for your buck than, say, you know, minus 1.75% military production, right? I was just going to say, in my view, you need to be off schools entirely by the end of the round. So you got to pick a point when that happens. And then when that happens, right, you're paying a cost to rebuild all that land into something else and possibly have to rezone it, too. But what I'm saying is you don't have to, though, in the same way that, you know, not many people would completely raise all of their diamond mines, even though the bonuses they get from those towards the end of the round aren't so much. Well, I guess, yeah, you don't have to. But I think from a competitive point of view, you probably should, right? Because it's going to get you more numbers. But not at the cost of, um, of actually doing that whole reconstruction thing. I think there's still going to be plenty of techs that you could be picking up um, towards the end. And I don't know if it's going to be worth doing that cost. I think you, I think if you do have that many, I don't think you need to get rid of them. I think you can just keep them and just get a new tech every day or two um, towards the end. And if you know you're already kind of 6,000 acres, say, 300 acres isn't a lot to, to lose. Yeah, it's expensive. That's for sure. I'm saying it's only 5% of your land at that point, so it's not really that big of an issue. But what techs would you be leaving to the very end, though, right? Like, I wouldn't see that there'd be too many that you'd want to leave towards the end that would be pretty useful and not have, say, 5% of your land into, you know, Griffin Nest. Because late, late round, right, the mod buildings or the percentage that those things give you are we're talking, like, you know, a day, two days of training worth of numbers that you're going to get out of those buildings, right? Right, but there could be things like, you know, there's maximum populations, there's the um, better exchange rates. You do want to start, you know, converting your lumber, your ore, your, your gems into platinum towards the end. Um, you might not even have the offense ones or, like, the fewer casualties. There's quite a few spread around that you might be picking up towards those last couple of days that will be useful. Yeah, I guess I guess we're definitely on two different ends of the stick on that one, eh? Yeah, which is uh, exactly what you want. You want to be having these uh, you know, these conversations, all these different types of strategies opening up to you. you know, if everyone does the same thing, that's when we, we start getting boring again. So having a, a mix of ideas is, is what you really want. And I would just, you know, I guess equate it to you're jumping out of an airplane, right? 
And it's really when you pull the chute for your survival with those schools, right? So then that's, that's my view is you're jumping out of the airplane. You want to make sure you have enough time before you hit the ground that you can land safely, right? You don't want to just jump out of the airplane and hit the ground directly, right? You'll kill yourself. Yeah, or, you know, you could just, uh, if you're a hang glider, then uh, you're not going to cut the cord on that, are you? You're going to come in for an actual landing with all the equipment intact. <laughs> Either way, you're conquering the skies, right? Exactly. Isn't that what it's all about? Conquering the skies. All right. But, uh, before we, we finish up, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or, or mention? Uh, nothing's really coming to mind right now. It's kind of just too early to kind of go more in depth on stuff right now because, you know, we haven't seen enough yet, right? We need some more meat on the bone to really chew at stuff and digest and, and kind of give our opinions on things that have happened, right? It's just, unfortunately, you know, there's just not enough meat on the bone right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think you should probably mention that the there have been a few kind of takedown attacks in the first few days, which have been really good to see. You know, the uh, the top few fast attackers have definitely been whittled down from about, you know, like maybe 15 to 3 or 4 um, looking competitive at the moment with, with, you know, like another kind of 6 or 7 right behind. Um, so there have been some good moves that we've seen early on um, and some uh, some probably unwise moves as well where, where people have been just completely crippled afterwards when they've been hit kind of 4 or 5 times. Um, so it has been a, a good really start to the round. Uh, guess we'll just have to see how, how the rest of it progresses yeah either way it's gonna be at the very least entertaining right yeah exactly and, and that's really what you, you you want you know i think even if there are runaway rounds as long as things kind of keep on moving and you're never entirely sure who's going to win um and people aren't just kind of stuck without being able to attack for kind of five six days if things keep moving at least it's enjoyable for everyone. And what you really do want is um, you want to be able to keep having to guess what's going to happen. You don't want it to be a foregone conclusion. And I think with the bots, you're going to, you're going to have people, uh, you know, growing. Like, I mean, just today, right. One of the bots was hit by, I think one of the, the top guys, right. One of the big, big attacker guys was, he hit a bot. So, you know, I think bots could really, play a role with, uh, you know, helping stave off stagnation for, for a good portion of this round, at least, you know? Yeah, potentially. It always depends on how how their defense is compared to everyone else. And, you know, looking right now, it seems as though quite a few of them are growing pretty quickly. Um, that's possibly, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because it's good that it will encourage hits, but what you don't really want is for there to be a top attacker who's completely uh, got dominance over kind of like the, the second tier people. And then if the third tier people are able to make easy hits on bots that the second tier people can't hit, then it just kind of squeezes the whole round together. You know, you want it to be able to keep, you want bots to be able to keep the round moving, um, but not be so under defended that people are able to like safely hit them completely um, and not even be slight targets for those above them. 
Yeah, and that's always the difficult thing, right? Because if you get one little thing wrong, then, oh, it's, you know, the bots are feeding the game. And if they're not growing fast enough, then, oh, geez, the bot, you know, it's basically, I think, unfortunately, right, we can you do a lot of scapegoating on the bots, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, and I think there's no real way around it. Um, I think they're necessary for the game to, to just be able to, able to like, feed attackers. Um, but that balancing act is, is always going to be tough and you're always going to get complaints one way or the other. Yeah, you're never going to get it perfectly right. You just have to kind of adjust as you go, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, all right. I think that is all that we've got time for uh, for this week. I'd like to say thanks for joining me as ever. And uh, I'm sure we'll be finding out more about how your round's going in particular throughout the, the rest of the round. <laughs> you know, a little sneaky, a little sneaky joke, eh? Well, we can usually, uh, we can see how uh, how the things are going by uh, how active you are. I'm always active. Yeah, but you're not always happy. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Hey, we'll see. All right, pal. Until next time. You too, brother.